Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Here now the reading of God's holy word. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, so, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to Him in prayer. O Lord, we are poor and needy, and in need of being fed. Help me to rightly divide the word of truth and grant us ears to hear. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As God spoke creation into existence, so it was. From the dust he formed man. The Hebrew word for man, Adam, from which we get Adam. And God You may recall he breathed life into man and through him to us. We are, we are all children of Adam. Scripture says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was, you remember what he said? It was very good. God is the creator and giver of all good things. Not so Adam. God gave life, breath, and everything. Adam gave death. As Paul explains, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. The catastrophe, the cosmic catastrophe that was the fall, as recorded in Genesis 3, well, I like to say it's the gift that keeps on giving. Right? Death. But the death sentence received is not executed instantaneously for Adam or for us. God's gift of life sustains, but sin remains. Its curse, its consequences. It is then against the bleak, black backdrop of sin Well, it's there that the gospel shines brightly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what? But are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. By grace through faith. You and I receive forgiveness. 
and pardon and redemption and life. The good news of the gospel, and let's be clear on this because our world seems quite confused about this. The good news of the gospel is not that sin is any less serious or that God is more accepting of sin. No, the gospel is that there is forgiveness of sin and redemption from its reign, divine relationship restored, eternal life guaranteed, hope for living today and tomorrow only in Christ alone. But as beautiful as the gospel is, and it is indeed beautiful, it does not negate the sorrow over sin. It does not negate the evidential consequences of sin that we see in the world in which we live. If the penitential psalms, of which Psalm 30 is one, of the penitential psalms, if they teach us anything, it is that the child of God is not in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. No, on the contrary, sometimes we weep from the depths of woe. Sometimes the psalmist leads us, we cry out as if from the bottom of a pit. Penitential psalms such as this one, they teach us not to run away from the Lord, but to run to Him. In lament. In his brilliant book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Mark Vrogop defines lament as, quote, a prayer in pain that leads to trust, a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment, the path from heartbreak to hope. Now, to be clear, lamenting does not mean wallowing in our pain or being despairingly consumed with the sin that we see around us in the world. Rather, lamenting develops in us an awareness of suffering, a sensitivity to sin, and a means to express it with a language for godly sorrow and a reason to hope again. And perhaps this sermon, those of you hearing this sermon, well, perhaps this is for you. Perhaps you're, you're hearing this today and, 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 and you're carrying burden. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Perhaps it's your job or your finances, or your needs. Perhaps it's a particular repetitive sin that you struggle with. Or perhaps it's just, perhaps it's just the weight of living in a world that is so filled with sin. And I don't know. I don't know what your situation is. But here's what I know. I know the sermon is for all of us. Because you see, at some point whether it be sorrow or sin, at some point we have to learn to lament. Sometimes all we can pray is exactly what we need to pray. 
Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And I'm going to try not to cry through this sermon. (laughs) The psalmist does not describe the details of his depths, does he? Search as you will, you'll not find it. And I presume, in studying this psalm, that his cry is figurative. But it could be literal. Or it could be both. Both figurative and literal. I mean, I think about the example of Jonah. You may recall that Jonah prayed a prayer of lament from the bottom of the sea. He prayed, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And it's surely in the depths of the sea that Jonah felt in that moment alienated from God. Only to find what? What was it that Jonah found? He found that he wasn't alienated from God after all. In fact, he learned the Lord's divine intervention and the Lord's provision. And while we may feel like we're alienated from God sometimes, sometimes those first two verses of Psalm 130, we can almost feel like we're the ones that wrote them at times. It's one of the reasons why I encouraged us as a congregation to memorize this psalm for that very reason. And yet, the psalmist teaches us in his very cry, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. You'll note the spelling is different in these two verses in the word that is translated in English, Lord. The first is in all caps, which is translation of the Hebrew name Yahweh, the great I Am, the covenant God of His chosen people. And then He couples that, which is now spelled in lowercase, with the Hebrew name Adonai, which conveys God's singular, sovereign power. And so he pulls these together in his cry because he is the one. He is the true God. He is indeed sovereign over life. He is sovereign over death. Employing anthropomorphic language, the psalmist then pleased for God to... Well, look at verse 2. He pleased for God to do what? To, To lend an ear. To listen attentively, to hear his pleas, his pleas for mercy. Amidst such dire language, you and I, well, we might presume a hopelessness. This is not a lament of hopelessness. Far from the truth. Our prayers of lament should not presume that the Lord is fickle but instead faithful. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so the psalmist teaches us that it is right, it is fitting to cry out. And when we cry out, we are not trying to convince a capricious God. No, we cry out because the Lord hears the voice of his child. And he desires that we cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. 
And as this is the case, then let me ask you a question. What keeps you from crying out to the Lord? What keeps you from crying out to the Lord? One possible problem, perhaps even unexpressed, is a wrong perspective of our relationship with the Lord. Now let me explain what I mean by that. You and I, we may readily agree that God is our Heavenly Father. But do we always believe that His goal is our eternal good? Or do sometimes our circumstances in life make us, well, we might not ever say it, but do our circumstances sometimes make us wonder, is God out to get me? (laughs) The psalmist helps correct this in an unexpected way. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. The psalmist connects the word forgiveness with fear of the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? He connects forgiveness and fear of the Lord. When we think of fear, we typically think of fearfulness, a kind of worldly, well, I'm scared of things in this world. But you see, there is a difference, a distinction between fleshly fear and godly fear. And one of the best places to see this is in Exodus 20. You don't need to turn there, but if you're taking notes, and I have actually preached on this text before, in Exodus 20, you may recall that the children of Israel are assembled at the base of Mount Sinai. And it is truly an awesome and terrible is probably what our Puritan forefathers would have called it, an awesome and terrible sight. Do you remember? There was flashes of lightning, and then there was thunder, and then there was smoke on the mountain, and then there was this curious blasting of a trumpet that I just find incredibly fascinating. And then the people cry out. But they don't cry out to the Lord. Do you remember who they cried out to? They cry out to Moses. And here's what they said. Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us lest we die. That tells you how amazing, how awesome the presence of the Lord was in that moment. And then Moses, as the faithful servant of God, he corrects them. And here's what he said. And I want you to listen closely. This is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Did you catch the distinction between fear? There's the distinction between do not fear and the fear of Him. Those who rightly fear God will fear Him in the right way. Not in a fleshly way, but in a worshipful way. We hear this very clearly in this psalm. Look with me. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now note what he doesn't say here. What he doesn't say is, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be loved. I would think that if I was writing the psalm, I probably would have written that. It makes sense to me, doesn't it? Hmm. Note that he doesn't say, but with you there is judgment that you may be feared. I mean, he doesn't say either one of these. Fear 
in the inspired word of God is not set against love and goodness or paired with judgment and punishment. No, godly fear is paired with forgiveness. Now this should lead us to wonder why. Why are these two paired together? And I want you to think about it this way. God is indeed holy. And according to Habakkuk chapter 1, He cannot sin, or we would say He cannot know sin. And in His perfect justice, He absolutely must punish sin. He does not accommodate sin. He doesn't accept it. No sinner can stand before a holy God. Unless God acts first. Or we say theologically, unless God acts monergistically, alone, in and of Himself. Unless God acts. And so, and so He has. God has indeed acted, forgiving us by His grace through faith. In the cross of Christ, our sins are atoned for, past present, and future. You say, how can that be? I've not even sinned those sins yet. True. But don't we oftentimes think that way? Well, I'm I'm okay with my past sins being atoned for. But I I probably better harbor and hold on to those in the future, shouldn't I? (laughs) No. Christ, in in His sacrificial death, atoned for our sin. And so we see... That indeed, for our sake, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. For Christ's Christ's sake, our iniquity, our sins are not marked. You could also translate that Hebrew word recorded. As if someone's keeping a record of our sin. Isn't that interesting? But that's exactly what the psalmist sings when he sings in Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Apart from the cross of Christ, we could not approach God. Apart from forgiveness... Yes, we would rightly be terrified. But in Christ, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our standing before God is not in our own self-righteousness, but it is only exclusively in the righteousness of Christ, the perfect righteousness who cleanses from our sins and cares for us as His children. And to Him who forgives, to Him who forgives our sins in Christ and in Christ alone, we cry out. We cry out, but we don't cry out to Him as some kind of cosmic tyrant. We cry out just as our Lord taught us. Our Father who art in heaven. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, the psalmist sings, and he remembers that we are but dust. Despite the forgiveness we have in Christ, 
it's really easy to allow ourselves to doubt God. It's really easy. So insidious is sin that as it seeps in, it seeks out our vulnerabilities. We may start to wonder if God does even hear our cries for mercy at all. If you had those prayers before. God, I keep crying. I really don't think you're hearing. It's a form of doubt, isn't it? And we may start to think that forgiveness, well, forgiveness, I know, I know what we believe in the gospel, but sometimes do we wonder if forgiveness is only for the faithful rather than the fallen? And under the weight of sin, it's very easy to feel hopeless. Against the lies of our sinful flesh, the psalmist in this psalm pushes back. And he pushes back with hope. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. The Hebrew word that's translated wait here is akin to the word hope. Connoting trust in the Lord. But it does not dismiss the psalmist's cry. It's not like he's just singing. I'm just happy, happy, happy all the time. You know, sometimes I fall into a pit and I'm just happy about falling into a pit. Now, that is just silly. No, he doesn't dismiss the cry. But poetically, what we see, and poetically we refer to this as an inclusio, verses 5 and 6 in this psalm connect back to verses 1 and 2. And we see now in verses 5 and 6, he's returning back to this, this cry, but he's now expanding on it. You can hear the psalmist's need in his repetition within this, what's called in Hebrew poetry, a strophe, or we might call it a stanza. I am waiting. I am waiting. I am waiting more than a watchman for the morning. The repetition is intent. This is passionate waiting. This is soul deep waiting. It is all encompassing waiting. And we don't do this well. We don't do this waiting well. We welcome the Lord's help, but we want it now. We want it in, under our circumstances, our desired circumstances what we often forget is that what the Lord provides may very well be the waiting. Jeremiah says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You see, it's in waiting that we are taught to depend upon the Lord and His timing too. What helps us then in our waiting? If this is part of how God works and how God teaches and how God sanctifies us, what helps us in our waiting? Well, look again at verse 5 and 6. The psalmist directs us to God's Word. A confessed hope in His precepts and promises. Consider this penitential psalm that was sung as they ascended to Jerusalem. 
on their way to the temple to worship. And you've got to wonder who sings psalms of a lament like this when they're on this celebration, this journey to go as pilgrims to Jerusalem to worship. Who sings laments like this? We do. Mark Vrogrop says, you might think lament is the opposite of praise. It isn't. Instead, Lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. I I love that. Lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. In psalms such as this one, we find words, helpful language of longing, of dependence, of assurance. Consider committing psalms like this one. Psalm 130 is a good psalm to memorize. It's not difficult to memorize. I encourage you to commit it to memory and then meditate upon it. And then incorporate it into your prayers. One of the things that we find is we memorize and meditate upon Scripture. Curiously, those words show up in our prayers. Have you noticed that before? Not only will you be drawing from an inspired source, right? That's kind of the no-brainer. But also, in a sense, you're asking the Lord to speak for you. Because sometimes I don't have the words to pray. And sometimes you don't either. I think sometimes, I think sometimes just having the right words to pray can be hope-inducing in itself. Psalms like this one also... Teach us to pray with anticipation. The repeated verse within this psalm is intentional. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. The psalmist metaphor is perfect. In prayer we wait with more anticipation than the night watchmen's waiting for the morning sunlight. And it is with this anticipation That we prayerfully petition the Lord. Remembering you do not have. Because you do not ask. Our sovereign God has chosen us to work. Through the prayers of his people. And so let me encourage you brothers and sisters in Christ. Because our sovereign God has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. Pray boldly. Pray with specificity. Pray frequently. Presenting your pleas to the Lord who hears your prayers. Hoping in God's word and faithfully petitioning him in prayer should lead you and I to redemptive reverence. I appreciated what Steve prayed this morning in regards to reverence in our assembled worship. And with God there is forgiveness that he may be feared. Not only that he may be feared, but also to stand against being forgotten. And one of the Lord's ways of reminding us is in the necessity of corporate worship. As we gather each Lord's Day to worship him with reverence and awe, we remember the reason for which we were created, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We consider the magnitude of our redemption and we rejoice 
And in our very assembly, on the first day of the week, we celebrate the reality of Christ's resurrection. And all of this, we do. And we don't do it alone. There is a reason that the psalmist cries out to his covenant faithful Lord, confesses to the Lord, waits for the Lord, and then, note in the last two verses, note what the psalmist does here, he then turns and he calls out to the church, O Israel, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Yes, there is a time for private, solitary lament. But lamentation should never lead us to isolation. We were created. We were redeemed for fellowship with God and for fellowship with one another. Even when we don't feel like it, there is a powerful presence in the assembling of the Lord's people on the Lord's day in worship. But it's also the substance of our liturgy that helps us in lamentation. As I've said before to people unfamiliar with a liturgical worship, I said if, you're, if it's unfamiliar to you or you don't understand it, just go to each point in our liturgy and ask, what is the significance of this? Because if you do that, it will actually teach you as we worship. To understand the importance. Think about it this way. We are called to worship. Whether we feel like it or not. For the Lord knows that a heavy heart is lifted. As we lift up our praise to the Lord. Not a fake praise. No show of hands. But how many of us have rejoiced in the Lord. As we cried tears of sorrow. Even from the depths, we sing, ascending in worship to the throne room of grace. We confess our sins and hear the gospel's pardon, the forgiveness and redemption that we have in Christ. We pray, but we don't pray alone. We pray together and we sing. And we're not singing solos. We're singing as a choir. Some of us better than others. And the Word, the Word in which we hope, well, it's read, and it's sung, and it's preached, and it's received, as the Lord not only hears the cries of His children, but He also speaks to us, too. And we are sent out from the assembly together with a benediction, reminding us, no matter how deep our woes, the Lord gives enduring hope. In this, we are reminded of the steadfast love of the Lord for His people. We rejoice that our redemption in Christ, well, it is so plentiful, or that Hebrew word could be translated full. It is so full that it covers all of our sin, past, present, and future. For we are a people who have received the gift of God's grace in Christ Who has redeemed us. And he has redeemed us from all our iniquities. And he is the God. He is the God who hears our cries. 
answers our prayers, sustains us moment by moment, and gives us hope, even in the depths of woe. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we have all experienced moments in our lives where we feel like that we are in the depths. And we confess that there are times that we have failed to cry out to you, perhaps even wondering that you would even hear us if we did. And regardless of where we are in our lives today, we know that there will indeed be times of sorrow. There will be times where we need to cry out to you. And I pray, oh God, have mercy upon us. Teach us to lament. Help us to cry out to you, for you hear us. Help us to remember the forgiveness that we have in you. Help us to look to you with that waiting and anticipation as you teach us, not only in the provision that you give us, but also in the waiting and teach us, oh God, teach us in our lamentation to rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth that we have indeed been forgiven of all our sin. And so we, your people, thank you. We praise you. Teach us, oh God, to praise you even from the depths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.